Hey guys, so we just finished um, recording an episode really about all the things that we love to talk about, especially when it comes to trauma, nervous system, behavior, and just, you know, what the human experience is right now. Yeah, and so many, so many of our decisions through the day really come from just habituation. Mm -hmm. And I don't think we take time to really appreciate just the neural networks that are getting implanted and seeded and supported as a result of like this ongoing repetitive behavior that we have. And so it really keeps us sort of narrow-minded or narrow, narrow in our focus. And we lose our, a little bit of our ability to really see the bigger picture and, and how to heal. And so the, the conversation really was about retraining your nervous system, learning the tools of self-regulation, putting your body and your nervous system into a safe space in order to make healing happen. And yeah. Yeah. yeah, and the big message I think that I really received from it, and I hope you guys do too, is of hope that um, even when we've had these micro traumas, big T traumas, experiences, all the things that we're navigating in today's world, there's always hope and that there's always a space or an idea that we still can dream the world that we want. So tune in and let us know what you think and make sure to follow Elizabeth Kristoff on all the social media channels. Welcome to the Health Ignited podcast with your hosts, Dr. Nick and Sonia Jensen. We are partners, parents, business partners, doctors, yoga teachers, and retreat leaders. We promise to bring you real conversations to awaken and ignite your potential to live your best life possible. Join us each week as we dive into topics varying from brain health, biohacking, hormones, and longevity, to relationships, parenting, meditation, and more. Together, creating community and building stronger foundations for the generations to come. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Health Ignited. I'm here with my lovely wife, Dr. Sonia Jensen. How are you today? Good. I'm excited for this podcast for sure because it's all the things that we talk about um, through whether it's trauma, um, freedom from food, um, any addictions that we have around that or disordered eating. So I think it's just such an important topic for us to dive into, especially right now since we're teaching our metabolic fixers all about fasting. That's right. And yeah. that's something we bring up a lot. Yeah. So our, our special guest today is Elizabeth Kristoff, and she's an expert in using applied uh, neurology, which we're going to get her to explain in more detail so you guys understand some of the, the Jedi mind tricks that she's going to teach us and, and the people that are listening. So she uses this uh, technology to help people move out of pain, unwanted behavior and stress response. She's the founder of Brain Based Wellness. And my goodness, like it's just such an important time for topics like this. Uh, and so this is a revolutionary online platform that trains the nervous system and body to resolve old patterns, improve performance and increase well-being. Uh, so she's a certified applied neurology practitioner and has been uh, in the wellness uh, industry since 2007. And uh, I mean, there's so much more to say about Elizabeth, but we're going to we're going to get her to explain some more of that as we go along. And so what, why don't you tell us a little bit about your story, Elizabeth, because I think it's always interesting to find a practitioner coming into, you know, their niche and their field, because obviously there's there's usually a reason why. So let us know who you are a little bit more detail and, and how you got here. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me on. I'm super excited to be here and have this conversation. 
And how I got into the current business that I'm in now um, is, of, like you said, it's most of the times it's like healer healing themselves and finding my own path of healing. Um, I started studying applied neurology um, about a decade ago when I had a movement in Pilates studio here in Austin, and we were working on our um, national teacher training program. And I knew at the time I wanted brain science to be a part of that program because I saw that that was where the future of, of movement science was going. And that, you know, you don't just have a tight hip flexor, you have a brain that's telling your hip flexor to maintain a certain level of tension. So you can foam roll it all you want and do all the stretches, but unless you change the neurology, it will always go back to that patterning. And so I began studying with an institute in Arizona and really fell in love with it and took a deep dive into understanding the nervous system, but really used it for many, many years for athletic performance and for pain management. And then I went through a period in my own life where things really fell apart and I was under a lot of stress. I dissolved my partnership shares in my business that I'd had for a decade and so much of my own identity and community was tied up in the business. So I lost that and was under a tremendous amount of financial stress. And that very same week that I dissolved my partnership shares, my fiance at the time, my romantic partner at the time was diagnosed with a rare cancer around his heart. And so I went into wow. being a full-time caretaker for him and um, went down that road for the next couple of years. And it was just a really high stress time where a lot of my own unresolved childhood trauma came flooding back in that environment of stress. And I began to experience really severe outputs of my own nervous system, a lot of chronic pain, a lot of dissociation and migraine and binge eating. And I had all this background of applied neurology. I understood the nervous system pretty well at that point. And I began to recognize in myself the same signals of nervous system dysregulation that I saw in my pain clients before I had an episode of binge eating or before I had a migraine or before I got into a really dissociated space. And I started to think, man, there's, there's, so much broader application to applied neurology beyond just athletic performance. And that really led me down a long rabbit hole of working with a bunch of different healers and studying somatics and trying to understand how it could all come together to create a, a different way of resolving trauma, of changing behavior and moving out of these, these deep patterns that were causing these unwanted outputs in my life. And then putting all of that together was what led me to eventually found the business that I have now. Well, what a story. Mm -hmm. I mean, it sounds like you've been through so much, like, like so many people have, you know, and, and to have a backbone or, or scaffolding and, and an awareness of the nervous system in relation to how things show up in the body. And even your fiance at the time too, just, you know, what was going on with him. Mm -hmm. um, let's, let's dive into like, why did, why do you think looking at the nervous system is such an important aspect? You know, we often think about a hierarchy of healing and that, you know, if you pay attention to, to, to the more the maybe the more subtle layers that have these real powerful and profound on off switches in the body that can really, you know, move us into dis-ease or, or, or the opposite of that maybe would be regulation, but tell us a little bit more about why you found the nervous system be such a pivotal area to, to address. Yes. Yeah, so I think so many of us are not taught about this component of ourselves, which really is our operating system. Right. And so 
it, there's some really important things to think about when you think about the nervous system. And one is that it's always changing. It's always changing in response to the stimulus that we put in and our brains and our nervous systems are plastic. So we have some agency over changing that system by deciding what stimulus we're going to put in. And we don't know it, but often we're just recreating patterns and giving our, our body and our brain the same input that is leading us to really unwanted outputs, right? So our, our brain and our nervous system are always taking in information, integrating and assimilating that information, and then producing an output. And our brain's primary job, our old brain's primary job is always our survival. It's always going to put that first. And so the brain is always taking in that information and making the decision safe or unsafe. And if my brain's decision, because the information coming in isn't clear because of deficits in my nervous system, or I have nerve damage because of stress over time or because of unresolved trauma, then my, my nervous system is going to feel unsafe doing its primary job, making predictions to keep me alive. And it's going to start to generate outputs that are protective. And those protective outputs could be anything from pain to weakness, muscle weakness, fatigue, but it could also look like depression or a migraine or an episode of binge eating, anything that's going to get me to reduce the amount of stimulus coming in, regulate my system, move out of that state of chronic stress. And so if I take smaller steps because I'm in pain or work out with less intensity because I'm in pain, or if I go to my room, pull the covers over my head, block out all the light and all the stimulus in that moment, my brain feels safer. And that is always going to win over what my cognitive mind thinks over what my higher order thinking systems think. So until I also address these issues at the level of the nervous system, it's really hard to move out of those protective outputs. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and there's such a familiarity for the brain too in, in those patterns. And that also brings in that safety because it's known. And mm -hmm. to disrupt such a pattern takes a lot of metabolic expense within the body and the mind and effort. Um, that sometimes if we don't have like that, Nick was saying that backbone that you had in that um, area of just your nervous system and understanding it for someone that doesn't have that same background, they really do step into the space of self-blame or um, the cycle of the behavior that's allowing them to feel safe. And so somebody like that, that's kind of stepping into this awareness for maybe the first time, what is it that you can tell them to do to help shift that awareness into understanding that, you know, there is a possibility to change and there is ways that we can shift that um, pattern and that imprint and that belief system that we've created to survive essentially in our lifetime. Uh, what is the first step that they can take to do that? Yeah. So I think the first step is to start to cultivate a mindset of curiosity and to understand that all of our behaviors are our brain's best bet to keep us safe and to keep us alive. And there's two really important things there, I think, to think about. And one is just like you were saying, change at any level is threatening to the brain because our brains function on pattern recognition, using those patterns to keep us alive. And it's more metabolically expensive to be doing change. So if you're trying to change even a habit or or if you're trying to adapt to all of the change in the world, we've been living in a pandemic, there's so much social change, uh, that all of that is stressful. And that stress builds up over time and leads to those protective outputs. And so recognizing that 
change is inherently threatening. And so starting with a minimum effective dose, starting with like really manageable, small steps to create that change and gradually building up over time so that you don't push yourself into those protective outputs, right? Like what's one minute of training your respiration or one minute of giving yourself vagus nerve stimulus a day versus trying to make this big lifestyle change that is going to be too threatening for your system it's going to be too much and then it will shut you down. And the other really important thing is that I think a lot of these behaviors also, like you said, are keeping us safe, right? There was really a moment in my healing where I had a profound recognition of gratitude for my binge eating. I am a kid that comes from a pretty high amount of childhood trauma. My ACE score is pretty high, adverse childhood experience. And there's a lot of research that shows that people with high ACE scores have higher rates of disease, autoimmune, cancer, addiction, suicide. And I've always been a pretty functional person in the world. And I, I do have autoimmune, but it's, it's not nearly as severe as it could be. And I've known other people with a lot of the same experiences that I had that got really sick, like my ex-fiance, like um, a lot of people that I've known that either had to be institutionalized or, or developed really dangerous diseases. And I recognized at some point that because of my childhood trauma, my nervous system has been extremely dysregulated for a really long time. And all of that chronic stress pumping out all of those stress hormones, especially the cortisol can damage my vessels. It can damage my nerves and my brain's best way to regulate me, to get me into a calm and respond, rest and digest state. And to move out of that state of chronic stress was to eat a bunch of food. And it kept me safe in doing that. And so if I wanted to change that behavior, but not create other negative outputs in my life or stay stuck in that chronic stress state, I had to give myself new tools, new tools for regulation. I couldn't just take the binging away and expect that I would be okay because that was what my, my body and my system really needed to survive. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, that's such an important story to bring up because many of us have those experiences. So for me, it wasn't binge eating, it was anorexia mm -hmm. at age 13. And it was because of my past traumas. And so the book that I wrote, it kind of speaks to trauma and hormones and how that really starts to define our personality, which then defines our actions. So to just say, I'm going to take that away and then go to the next step, it's going to bring us back into that cycle. So it has to be this conscious effort every single day with those like small steps to remind ourselves that, um, yes, that moment was a gift so that we can learn more about ourselves and bring in these like small elements every single day that will remind us that change is okay, that safety does sit over here. So I, I think that's so important to talk about because so many women and men have those experiences and yet we don't put those pieces together like the pieces of the puzzle we think everything's compartmentalized like the autoimmune or the cancer or everything that happens at 30 40 or 50 isn't related to what started that story that started so long ago mm -hmm. so i'd love Absolutely. to kind of hear just your evolution in your healing as you started moving through some of these stages and recognition of wanting to really um, retrain your brain and what some of those steps were for you. 
So the first thing that was most important for me and where I start also with most of my clients is starting to create safety inside of the body again, where it's even safe to come into your body. Um, I lived so much of my life in a really dissociated state. I was a mindful movement practitioner. I taught being in the body and I was checked out. Um, and stuck in cycles of overtraining and binging. And when I would try, you know, if someone said to me, like, close your eyes and drop from your head down into your body, my heart would start racing, my palms would start sweating, I would feel extremely afraid. And then later, I would binge or later, I would get a migraine. And it wasn't safe yet to I mean, forget even trying to emotional process, like I couldn't even sit in meditation for a few minutes without moving into protective output. So the first thing I had to do was really learn how to create safety in the body. And that is really what I use the applied neurology for. Um, in my programs, we focus on training the visual system, training the eyes, training the vestibular system, the balance system inside of the inner ear, the body mapping system, the sensory systems and, and the vagus nerve and the respiration. So we're kind of going into all about going through all these different systems and looking for where are your deficits in your nervous system and knowing that everything is a skill and every skill is trainable. So just finding the right neural exercises to start to make those input systems function better so that my brain all of the time on a second by second basis is getting higher quality information coming in. And then it feels safer doing its primary job, which is generating the output for my survival. And so by training those different systems, especially my interceptive system, my vagus nerve and the system inside of my body that tells my brain, Hey, this is what's going on inside. This is what's going on in your organs. And by training that system upregulating certain important nerves, it started to feel okay when I would drop into my body. And even when it didn't, I would have a couple neural exercises that I would do before I practiced dropping into my body to regulate myself. And then I would spend that minimum effective dose amount, maybe 30 seconds, trying to read as many signals as I could from inside my body or feel my feet or feel my hands. And then I would re-regulate my system with something that it liked so that I was continuing to teach my body and my nervous system, hey, this is safe. It's safe to be in your body. It's safe to feel what's going on. And then from that foundation of safety, then we can get into emotional processing and anger work and grief processing. But that was really the first place for me. Mm. It's such a beautiful description of getting into your body. Like, I love how it's, it's, I don't know if it's related, but it sounds a bit like an NLP practice of using the auditory, the visual, the kinesthetic type of uh, repatterning into the body. And so, yeah, your process sounds fascinating. I loved how you brought in, you know, you just kind of sprinkled it in there uh, with regards to these chronic states of stress and how it can lead to nerve damage. And maybe it's not necessarily killing nerves, but maybe it's not feeding the nerves that are supporting certain behaviors, or maybe it is killing the nerves. I don't know. Like, I think that that's a fascinating consideration to think that you're actually like pruning the nerves that maybe could be supporting you, but because we're, we're trying to look for safety, we're kind of, you know, running the grooves a little bit deeper into the, maybe the eating or the avoidant behaviors or whatever it may be. But I'd love, like, I don't know if you've seen any particular studies or research or, or just your opinion, maybe even on just what that means as far as nerve damage goes, because we know that it does happen in the cardiovascular system. I mean, chronic states of stress definitely, you know, raise blood pressure. I mean, these are some very obvious 
vasoactive qualities in that stress state. Uh, but tell us, tell us maybe what you've found with, with nerves and, and nerve damage. Well, you know, stress hormones are used so much as, as immune system suppressants, right? So if you have a lot of stress hormones coming through, your immune system is not working as well. And your vagus nerve is a, is really tied into your immune system as well as your digestive system. And so as those systems become damaged, the vagus nerve is not getting the stimulus and the the regulation that it needs to stay functioning well. And again, because our brains are wired for efficiency, if we're not, whatever we do, we get better at, right? And that that pathway becomes more well-worn and these responses become more habituated. The myelin is laid down in these other paths. And we start to, if I keep pushing myself into a binge, if I keep pushing myself into a migraine, I get better and better at creating that as my response. And yeah. those pathways and those nerves become hyperactive and the other ones become underactive. And so it's about giving the nerves that need more stimulus, the stimulation that they need to stay healthy, active, and alive, and then re-regulating so that the nerves that are overactive can come down out of that heightened state. Yeah. I love that. I mean, a simple little thing is just learning something new. Mm -hmm. You know, I find that, you know, like just an easy way to relate. I think this behavior is um, you know, I can, I can think of a bunch of things off the top of my head that, that seem like big mountains, like, oh man, I have to learn how to do that. And then I can get it done. And so I'm not going to deal with that right now. And so I find it's very easy to procrastinate when there's something that's foreign to us. And it may not be even a big deal to, to learn, but once we do learn it, it's, it's easy. And so, like you said, you know, the more you do it, the better you are at it. Um, and, and I think the same can be said, you know, for these traumas and these things that feel like massive and many, many of the times, obviously, they are very massive events in anyone's life. However, I, I love your approach of like breaking it down, finding the simplest way into creating safety in these different environments, these different learning beha uh, behaviors and patterns, so that we can take those little steps forward and start to recognize that, oh, I, I can do this. That's uh, That was a powerful message that I got from what you said. Yeah. And as you were speaking, I was kind of thinking just because my lens is always from a lens of hormones and um, when those you know, hormones like cortisol, adrenaline, and all these other stress hormones are high, our sex hormones are low. And estrogen for the brain and the nerves, it's like a fertilizer. So it helps those dendrite connections. So it becomes this like cyclical pattern. Mm -hmm. If we're not working on that new nerve formation and helping support that when we're chronically in that state of stress. So if safety isn't there, that we can't bring up those other hormones to help support those nerves. So I'm curious if you're working with like men and women, if you, what kind of things you see shift in their physical body that they may not think is related to their brain or their nerve health and to stress, like what kind of outcomes you've seen um, shift in people? Well, I mean, so many things, right? Yeah. Because the nervous system plays such a big role in all of these different outputs. But so pain is one of the first easiest things for me to get rid, you know, to help people get rid of, especially chronic pain, not something that's coming from an acute injury, but migrating chronic pain, people can move out of pain pretty quickly. Um, as, as their, as their brain feels safer, it no longer is generating that as a protective output. And sometimes that comes from the applied neurology. And sometimes that comes from emotional processing, right? Because sometimes that pain is there 
in order to protect us from experiencing and, and being in certain emotions that are maybe deeply suppressed and do not feel safe to release through the body. So uh, pain is one thing that goes away pretty quickly. And then with the applied neurology, so much changes. People's digestive abilities change, people's vision improves. So I have many clients that have trained themselves out of wearing glasses and can drive at night again because wow. they train their visual system. And so that is important, not just because it's cool that you don't have to have your vision get worse as you get older, but because now our visual system is functioning better. That affects a lot of your cranial nerves. And it also gives your brain better, clear quality input coming in. And the visual system is at the top of the neural hierarchy. So that just means our brain thinks that information is really important in making predictions. And so if that information is clearer, better, and more accurate, then our brain feels safer on a second by second basis. And then again, you experience less of those protective outputs, less migraines, less chronic pain, less chronic fatigue, and then behavior changes too. It becomes possible to not engage in a binge because you don't aren't driven in that in a survival state where you need it in that moment to reduce your stress, but you can start to make other choices. And then again, what we do, we get better at. So every single time I interrupt that loop and I'm able to move out of that behavior, it gets a little bit easier the next time and a little bit easier the next time to take a different path. Yeah, I, I want to really um, reiterate that visual piece that you said. Um, if anyone's read the book, When the Body Keeps a Score, and I also um, quoted this study in my book with um, when they took people and they asked them to replay their traumas that they went through. And then after when they were kind of monitoring what was happening in their bodies, they saw the visual cortex was the one that was most active in re-remembering that time. And that was just through like audio that they were getting replayed what had happened in that event, but it was their visual cortex that actually got heightened during a state of stress instead of going away. So that's the first thing that gets heightened when you're triggered from your environment. So I think that is a key in really helping support um, that shift from that trauma-based behavior to this new behavior that helps support healing. So I just wanted to like really reiterate for those listening to really pay attention to that piece within themselves and also the work that you're doing for that. The visual training often makes the biggest difference for people the most quickly because a lot of those deficits, like you said, they come over time and they're linked with that trauma and like what was the direction of your eyes at the moment of impact in an accident. And I had a, a right eye that was pretty lazy and it would drift to the medial, um, it would drift in a lot. And um, I would notice when I was under high stress and when I was having an emotional flashback and when I was dissociated, my eye would start to drift in. So I started to train it out of that behavior and heal that deficit and it made a huge impact in my emotional flashbacks, mm -hmm. in my dissociation. Yeah, so great. That's amazing. Could you could you help uh, listeners understand maybe just a, a broad stroke of like how you do assessments with people? So how you help them uh, identify, you know, where where those deficits are for people. So when I'm working with people privately, I will watch them walk and you can tell a lot about a person's nervous system by their gait cycle, you know, which way their legs are turned in or their hands, or if their head has a lot of stability or doesn't have stability. But on the site, because we're working with larger groups, I, I really 
try to make everybody the expert of their own nervous system and just teaching people how to assess and reassess how each exercise is affecting you because everybody's nervous system is different and unique. So we might use a range of motion that they have a lot of tension in and see if that gets better or worse after the exercise. And if it gets better, then that's having a positive impact on their nervous system. And then that would be one of their drills, or we might just do a quick scan. How much saliva do I have in my mouth? If my mouth goes dry, I'm moving into my sympathetic response. If I'm, if I'm generating more saliva, that's more of a rest and digest parasympathetic response. So does my mouth dry out or not? Do my palms get sweaty? Does my heart start racing? Do my shoulders elevate? Then that drill was probably too much stimulus. And I need to find a way to reduce the intensity. If the opposite happened, if I feel more relaxed, if I can take a deeper breath, if I have more saliva in my mouth, if my pain decreases, that's a positive response. And then I know that's a drill I want to incorporate into my daily practice. And so as people continue the work, they get better at assessing and reassessing how things are affecting their nervous system. And they can really apply that to things beyond just the neural drills. Is this exercise practice affecting me positively? Is this eating behavior affecting me positively? Uh, does meditation affect me positively or is it too much for me right now? And so then over time, they build up their toolkit of their tools and the brain needs novel stimulus all the time. So that's always changing, but you just have a simple morning practice of spending about five to 10 minutes a day, giving your brain and your nervous system, the stimulus that it needs to move forward in a positive direction. Yeah. So great. Mm -hmm. Those daily habits, I think are just so important. Um, we, there's this quote that what you do every day matters more than what you do every once in a while. And so to see that into somebody's day as their foundation, as they walk through the day can make such a huge difference in all their relations, really relations with others, relations with themselves. And so the relationship I'd love to kind of tap into a little bit is the food, because we know you have a program for food freedom. So how do you, and especially with your own experience, like how do you walk through how do you walk somebody through such a program and how they can change their relationship to food? Because I mean, that's the one that I think all of us struggle with in different ways. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it's such a prevalent issue. And the way that I look at it is very much through the lens of applied neurology, but it's really a three part program. The first part is just creating safety in the body, learning the drills to make you feel safe coming into your body and to give you tools to regulate your system when it's asking for regulation and being safe enough in your body to even be able to identify oh, I can feel that I'm starting to move towards a threat response. I can feel that I'm starting to move toward a binge or toward a compulsion to not eat or toward a compulsion to overtrain. How do I start to recognize those signals? So just bringing people back into their body and creating that foundation of safety, that's the first like month or two. And then we start to move into processing some of the emotions. And we live in a, in a society that generally teaches us that it's not very safe to express your emotions. And maybe you're taught at a very early age. If I express my anger or my grief, I'll get sent to my room. I'll get isolated. I'll get punished. Or maybe there was someone really angry in your life as a caretaker and you don't want to be like them. So we have all of this emotional energy suppressed. And a lot of times 
we use food as a tool to either keep ourselves from feeling the emotion that feels too big and scary to be with, or to experience emotions like connection, like joy, like relaxation, because once we've started to numb out some of the emotions, they're all connected, right? So when I can't experience my grief and my anger, I also have a really hard time experiencing joy and connection. And so it all gets enmeshed with the food. And so if we can learn new ways, safe ways to, again, in a minimum effective dose kind of way to have a practice of grief processing, to have an anger practice and to stop the unwanted behavior and use some of those somatic tools like tapping or somatic movement, or even with applied neurology tools to allow that emotion to start to express through the body, then we don't have to turn to the food as frequently to, to manage the emotions. And then the final component, once we've gotten through some of those practices is to start to really Really look at the deep subconscious narratives that are driving our behavior. If I have trauma of body boundary violations, maybe it really doesn't feel safe to shed the weight. And maybe it really doesn't feel okay to change my eating behavior and my relationship with food. Or maybe if my, you know, relationship with my caregivers was tied up in such a way that it feels not okay to to change my body or to change my relationship with food, like I will be rejected from the herd, I'll be abandoned. And so the final component is like, what are those deep core wounds and beliefs that are continuing to drive us into this cycle, even when we do have the other tools? Mm, that's, that's awesome. I, I mean, it's such an important process for people. And I think that often we get stuck in a, in a paradigm where like we get so focused on the, the big trauma and then that becomes, you know, the spotlight for everything. And then we, we like, we sort of lose our ground and our ability to move through. And that, let's say, for example, it's wanting to lose weight and it's just, everything is about that. And then it becomes a shame cycle and just perpetuating those patterns mm -hmm. that you were talking about. And so like, what a powerful, you know, sort of weight off the shoulders for people to hear that, Hey, you know, it, it doesn't have to be this big thing that we tackle right now, but it, really there's a process of, of finding safety, re-regulating the body, starting to work through, through some of those heavier emotions. And then, and then we can address that, that big thing that, that may in fact just sort of resolve itself on the way there too, you know, which, which yeah. is amazing. Um, I love what you're sharing. I mean, it's, it's such important information for people to really appreciate just how powerful it is and, and how quick in, in many cases, I imagine too, that people realize, oh, oh man, this thing that I've been worried about or carrying around with me for so long, I just had to really, you know, learn this self-regulation -regu process. Uh, it's, it's amazing. Uh, yeah. It's really, really powerful. Thank you. I mean, I think it, it makes a big difference for people, right? To know that one, you're definitely not the only person experiencing this. There's many people that have this relationship with food that have these behaviors and to, to see that in other people and to not have to try to heal that just in isolation, uh, is I think really important. Yeah. And then also to just, yeah, shifting the perspective to it's just my brain and my body trying to do the best that it can to keep me safe and to keep me alive. And it's okay. I just didn't have the tools. I just didn't have the tools. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think what you said there is really important because often we can step into a space of rejection of the body or feeling like it's failed us. 
um, or our brain is failing us. And, you know, we could have this awareness and insight because as we age, as the frontal lobe starts to develop, we understand more consciously that yes, this healing needs to happen. And we start on that track and yet we're not getting the results in quotation marks that we think or expect of ourselves. And then we get into that cycle of shaming the body again. So I think by taking those small steps that you're speaking to, it can create just like room for forgiveness and room for acceptance. And then I think what you said in the beginning, so important room for gratitude, that, you know, this is just a journey. And the learning really is happening now, and that we have this capacity to shift at any moment. I was um, leading a group of women just these last couple of weeks, as we were going through my book, and this one woman who's in her 60s, she was like, you know, I'm, I feel so bad now, that I didn't have this awareness in my 20s or this awareness before and here I am in my 60s and we really like worked on reframing that for her because I think then we once we start to heal we can also get stuck in like a shame cycle of like why didn't I know this before I lost so many years so how do you help support people move through that grief that can show up as we start to heal that even that grief of that old identity that people were holding on to so tightly so that it can move through their life. Yeah, that's it. It's a beautiful story that you shared. And it's an experience that I see with a lot of my clients. There is a lot of grief that we've been carrying this. And then there is grief for the, the identity, just like you said, the person that I was before and like letting go of that is there's grief with that. And so I feel like the most important thing is allowing the grief to be there and allowing that grief to move through. And so, you know, for me, when I first started processing emotions, I would experience really severe flare-ups of my autoimmune because I was very scared of my emotions. My body was very scared of my emotions. And so I would try to do a grief practice or anger work and I would get really bad eczema all over. My joints would swell up or I would get a lot of pain and chronic fatigue. And so again, I was like, okay, what do I know from applied neurology? What I do, I get better at. I can't keep pushing into these responses, or I'm going to start moving into those responses more quickly. And so I started practicing minimum effective dose of grief processing. So starting with 30 seconds, you know, of allowing yourself to think about what it is that you're grieving, the fact that you didn't have those tools before or that past version of yourself or the, the pain that you went through and, and seeing if, it, if it's possible at that moment to drop into your body for 30 seconds. How does this feel in the center of my chest? How does it feel in my belly? How does it feel in my throat? Can I put my hand on the place where I feel it the most and breathe into that space? And then maybe dialogue with the sensation, you know, how do you want me to be with you? What do you need from me? And see if an emotion starts to release out and then re-regulate after that with some drills or something, it doesn't even have to be drills, something that your nervous system likes, take a bath, go for a walk, um, play a song and dance around couple, couple the grief with joy, you know, play something fun and dance around so that you are allowing yourself to move through it rather than just staying stuck in that place. Yeah. It can give such a sense of freedom when you do that too. Like knowing that you have the ability to change your state really in the moment when you can really figure out what your unique um, mind and body need for that mindset shift, whether, like you said, it's music or putting your feet, um, on the ground and grounding ourselves and just getting connected mm -hmm. to nature. So that reconnection piece is so important. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I was gonna, I was gonna ask you if, 
you know, in, in someone going through this process with you and let's say they, they get stuck in a certain place and, you know, what are, what are some ways to, to help them sort of shift out of that, that stuckness. And I think that like a common thing for people when, when they are stuck is that, you know, whether it be the shame cycle, they go back into the behavior and that some of that guilt will come in um, because they do feel stuck again. Uh, I mean, I imagine you're supporting them to just, you know, find that safety again, and maybe it's a new layer or a new level of, of awareness that they, they haven't yet appreciated, but what about, yeah. What about people getting stuck in the process? There's usually two things that I find when people get stuck in the process. And one is that there's a a deep core belief that's keeping them there, right? So we have to identify what that core belief is. And I have kind of a little cognitive process that you can go through, but essentially if the belief is not true, what else is possible and coming up with something different, right? But then how do we make our, our brain and our nervous system feel safe with that new belief? Because it's been there to keep us alive. It's been using that it's adaptively to keep us safe and alive for many years to not be rejected from the herd, to not be abandoned, to not be too much. So if, if the belief is, you know, that my desires are too much, or if I, express my desires, I hurt people. Or if I set a boundary, I will, I will be abandoned. So what's the new belief. And then as we, as we bring the new belief in, as we mantra it, or we meditate and visualize, can we do drills or something that our nervous system really likes at the same time to create that internal felt sense of safety while they're bringing it in so that it's more accepted. So like a lot of my clients just respond really well to a very simple drill of of making circles with their tongue over their teeth because it helps activate the vagus nerve and it is, can be coupled with some nice in gentle inhale, long, relaxed exhale. And so they just circle their tongue over their teeth and practice long exhalations as they're repeating the new belief. And then, you know, maybe rubbing their hands together and staying grounded in their body. And so starting to bring that new belief into the body so that it's possible to act differently. And then the other place that I really see loops present is when there's a big, big, emotion that needs to be discharged and people get caught in this protective loop of obsession about something. And it definitely has happened to me many times, even in healing, like I get stuck in a healing loop. Like I, I have to keep fixing this. I have to get better and I'm, I'm broken. Right. And so I keep trying all these different healing modalities, but really it's just another distraction from fully expressing the emotion. And so then for me and and for most of my clients, it's just been a really, you just have to be really gentle with yourself. You just have to let yourself take the time that it takes and, and keep re-regulating and start with the minimum effective dose. And now, now I can move things through my body pretty quickly and it'll pass through and then it'll be discharged and gone. And I know what I need to do after I need to go get out in nature. I need to give my vagus nerve some love. I need to do some eye movements for my right eye. And once that, that big energy that's so scary is gone, then there's no need to keep re-engaging in that same pattern to keep Mm -hmm. yourself distracted from that thing, whatever it is. That was perfect because, you know, I think that, you know, part of the question was that we all make progress forward and then, and then sometimes we can't see where our blocks are. And then sometimes we have to look at our behaviors and find out what we're choosing. And, and I, and I think for a lot of us, especially us who have maybe spent a lot of time doing work on ourselves, 
I think a lot of us has sort of have had to face some level of re-traumatization over the past two years with like with our screens and then constantly like mm-hmm. reckon like I'm catching myself sometimes stuck in a loop of just like I don't really want to look at this stuff but there's this habituation that happens when there's this collective energy that, that you know maybe it's the the collective nervous system that's that's getting affected and so it's so helpful to just like remind us all that we're going to get stuck sometimes what are some ways to get out of that? And, you know, uh, so I think you answered that perfectly. That was great. Yeah, I think, oh, go ahead. No, no, you go ahead. We definitely have all been through like a collective traumatization and not only has there been so much change and really physical things that have dysregulated our nervous system, like only looking at a focal point that's about 13 inches from our face, long periods of time throughout the day, the isolation, uh, wearing a mask and impeding part of our visual field all the time, the threat of looking at other people wearing masks all of the time is just inherently dysregulating. And then there's grief, right? There's grief for the world that we had. There's grief for all the changes. There's grief for people we have actually lost. And it's, it's just a lot. It's a lot right now. Mm-hmm. So how can we help people step into that space of dreaming again? Because I feel like that is what was really lost in these last two years, this ability to like dream the future and um, not get stuck in future tense, but like really be mm-hmm. able to like see ourselves like projecting forward as we're doing the healing work and doing all this. So how can we really help support people relearn that and remember that everything is temporary because like Nick was saying too we've done so much work on ourselves and yet we get stuck in these loops I remember when the lockdowns first happened my sister and I were kind of half joking because that's one of our um, ways we deal with trauma and stuff but as I'm giggling now uh, we started talking about how like it felt like our childhood like we felt like we were always in lockdown but in childhood we knew there was like this other space that we'll, we'll be able to step into. So this is temporary. Yet when the lockdowns happened, it didn't feel that way. And it re-reminded us and triggered mm. all of that again. And so I think so many around the world are experiencing these micro traumas again, and you lose sight of what possibility and hope and faith and all of that. So how can we re-enter that feeling again of dream? That's such a beautiful question and such an, a beautiful example too. And I think, yeah, I think for so many people, it brought up those feelings. Same as like when I said I was in that other period of high stress time in my life, all of this stuff came back to me that I didn't even know was there. Right. And so this stress comes up and then, and then we, we can get in a place where it feels very hopeless. And I think that it's, I, I believe personally that there, it, there are always cycles to things, right? And so there's always periods of destruction that are absolutely necessary for new growth. And we are at a really pivotal time where we have the opportunity to create something new. And it is really important to hold our vision, like our collective vision for the possibility of what is to come, which can be really beautiful on, on you know, just as like winter to spring in order for there to be new growth, things have to die off. And we're at a place where we can step into reimagining the world. And I think that in order to stay in that place of creativity and in that place of 
connection and higher order thinking, it's important to also allow ourselves to understand the ways in which we've been dysregulated and, and to give ourselves the tools, whether that is, there are so many different tools, right? Whether that's nervous system training or somatic movement or um, grounding with your feet or working on breath work or whatever it is that works for that person, understand that it's really, really important right now that we give ourselves those tools so that we can recreate the safety that we need to be in our higher order thinking systems and that we can have the ability to process the collective grief and the collective um, fear and, and anger and all of the stuff that comes with this through and not be driven by those suppressed emotions and having it come out in emotional reactivity in all kinds of ways that, that we don't want. I really believe as within, so without. And so as we create that new internal state inside of ourselves, it becomes more possible to, to hold the vision of what can come after this period. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thank that. you. Yeah, that was great. So for our last question, what I'd like to ask you is if you knew that tomorrow was your last day on this earth, what is the imprint that you would like to leave behind? I just would really like to be a part of this conversation and this expanded consciousness and awareness that's happening now that, you know, that we all do the best that we can at the level of our nervous system and that there's so much more underneath behavior and disease and, um, and our, our relations with each other, you know, then we see on the surface that it's not so compartmentalized. And I really would just want to contribute to that and, and hopefully help people have more compassion with themselves and with others. Well, you, you are contributing to that. So yeah. Thank you for all the work that you are doing. It's amazing. Thank you for allowing me to be here and contribute mm-hmm. to it. Yeah, absolutely. Please, please share your, your programs with people. So how can people find you and what are the programs you have offering? Uh, because I mean, they sound fantastic and really timely, of course, too. The best place to find me is at my website, which is brainbased-wellness.com. And there's a free video series there where you can learn how to assess and reassess your nervous system. And it'll give you five really simple neural exercises that you can start to do and just see how your body reacts to it and start to use them in moments of stress or use them in the morning to regulate. And so that's the best place to get started. And then from there, you can reach out to me if you're interested in food freedom or membership, but that's totally free free and can make a big difference just by doing those simple exercises. That's awesome. Thank you. Yeah. It was so great to have you on here. Yeah. Elizabeth, Thank you guys so much. Yeah, such a gift. I mean, you know, that in, in all the craziness that we all go through in life, you know, to think that there's tools that we can all access that we just, you know, we just have to put the time in a little bit of effort and the, the healing that's possible when we, we address these things at the level that you're speaking to. Uh, I mean, you know, I think it, it gives us all hope that, that anything is possible. So thank you. Keep spreading the message and we'll do our best to share with all our, uh, our people as well, too. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Health Ignited podcast. Be sure to download, subscribe and share as we build this conscious community together. You can also find us on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, and our website, drsjensen.com. Please note all information on this podcast is not and should not be taken as medical advice. Please see a healthcare professional to receive the care needed. 
Thank you for sharing this time with us, igniting your health freedom. And welcome to the tribe. 